This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to Vlad Polyakov and to Muriel, who both just signed up this week to support us on Patreon, and to Ruralution, who just made a one-time contribution to the show via PayPal. All right, so now let's get to our panel. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 372 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing season two of the German science fiction series Dark on Netflix. And this won't involve spoilers for all of season two, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests, all of whom previously appeared on our panel on season one of Dark back in episode 294. So first up, we've got Erin Lindsay making her 14th appearance on the show. She's the author of the Rose Gallagher series of historical mysteries from Minotaur, the Bloodbound series of epic fantasy novels from Ace, and the Nicholas Lenoir series of paranormal detective novels from Rock, which she writes under the name E.L. Tetensor. Her latest Rose Gallagher mystery, A Golden Grave, comes out in September. So Erin, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be back. The next up, we've got Raphael Jordan making his eighth appearance on the show. He's written over 25 feature films that have premiered on video and cable television, including The Immortal Voyage of Captain Drake, Star Runners, and Vampire Nation. He also co-wrote the new series Salvage Marines, starring Casper Van Dien and Peter Shinkoda. So, Raphael, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure. Thanks. And also joining us today is Rory Carroll. He's a senior TV reporter and producer with Virgin Media News in Ireland. He started out as a local radio reporter in Dublin and has spent the last 16 years as a broadcast journalist, covering everything from politics to crime. So, Rory, welcome to the show. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. Okay, and so as I mentioned, we'll be discussing Season 2 of Dark. And if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the show, I really, really don't recommend that, because this show is super confusing, even if you've seen every episode. And listening to this panel, if you've never seen the show, is going to be like the podcasting equivalent of free climbing or base jumping. But nevertheless, or, or free basing, <laughs> or or that that's a good good call, Aaron. Um, but so for people who who are going to ignore that warning and listen anyway, even if they haven't seen the show, just to set it up really quickly, it's set in a small town in Germany where people have been keeping secrets over many generations, and then it turns out that there's a cave out in the woods where you can go into it and emerge forward in time or backward in time. And as more and more characters start realizing this, all of this town's secrets uh, get un- unearthed and come to light. And then it turns out there's also this apocalypse involving the town's nuclear power plant. And as season two opens, the main character, a teenage boy named Jonas, he's been transported into a post-apocalyptic future. And he's trying to get back to the present so that he can avert the apocalypse. And so, so Aaron, let's start with you and have you just give us what were your overall impressions of season two? Um, wow. My overall impression of season two was pretty close to unadulterated love, which, um, I mean, regular listeners of the show will know that's not usually my (laughs) right out of the gate statement. I usually have lots of ifs, ands, or buts. Um, but I just, I just completely loved this show and I, I couldn't help looking back at sort of, I didn't have a chance to listen to the entire podcast we did last year, but I did go back to the, the wrap up article on wired.com and sort of, tried to remember 
how we'd reflected on it the first time around. Um, and I think my initial impression is borne out to the degree that I still think, I mean, it's an immensely challenging show. And I, so for that reason alone, I do think it's still not going to be for everybody. Some people don't want a show that is going to leave them trying to, you know, hold their brains together with their fingers, uh, hmm. which this show will definitely do. But it does, it does reward that if you, if you trust the writing and if you are patient with it and if you are willing to put in the mental gymnastics, it really rewards that. And it's just, I think it might be the most narratively ambitious thing I've ever seen. And I don't know that whether it's that they got into their stride as writers or that I got into my stride as a viewer or perhaps the combination of both. But whereas there were moments in season one where I, like in the middle of the season, was lost, that didn't happen to me this year. I, in starting season two, I got through episode one and had to go back and do a full recap um, on the internet of, of season one because even though I would have said I remembered it fairly well, I was completely lost. <laughs> But once I did that, right at the beginning, there was no point after that that I felt lost where I felt like the writers didn't mean for me to feel lost. Um, and it just it was just so impressive on every level, the acting, the writing, all of it. Well, right. If you went back and looked at the Wired write-up for our last discussion, the, the thrust of that was that I was pretty skeptical that season two of the show could possibly be good. I felt like season one was so complicated and... I wasn't sure that they would have figured everything out ahead of time for seasons two and three. And I, I was really concerned that there would be a sophomore slump and uh, just a lot of the mysteries from season one, of which there were many, many, many mysteries, would just not have satisfying explanations. And it would be sort of a, a last episode of Lost or Battlestar Galactica kind of situation where, uh, you know, you've uh, you know, it's all sleight of hand and then the uh, you know, the person fumbles it uh, when like, they have to like actually Game of Thrones. Okay, no Sorry. spoilers. I haven't seen it, Sorry. so no spoilers. <laughs> oh, right. Just just means that I didn't like it. Doesn't oh. tell you anything substantive. <laughs> um, but yeah, I totally agree with you. I thought that they obviously had this this whole season. It seems to me, at least, planned out from the very beginning. You know, from from when they started doing season one, and um, I, I think that season two was actually stronger to me. I, it felt more focused. I felt like they, you know, there were so many characters, and they kind of moved some of the more peripheral characters into the backgrounds a little bit. And yeah, it was a little easier to follow, like you said. Um, I'm not totally satisfied with the all the mysteries being explained that I feel like should have been explained by this point. But, um, you know, I, I mentioned that this has currently 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and uh, that, that seems pretty accurate to me. Uh, I think I'm going to declare this now my second favorite show on TV after The Expanse. Wow. Uh, big claim, uh, big claim. <laughs> um, so how about uh, Raphael what were your overall impressions of season 2 you know to echo both of your thoughts um, yeah I was initially a little skeptical of season 2 and it's ability to follow up with everything that season 1 set up because you know it kind of has that J.J. Abrams mystery box vibe and you know you always are a little dubious that they're actually going to answer anything and, and I'm still not entirely sure that they answered a lot but you know to their credit um, they really, like you said, clearly had a plan from the get-go because to echo Aaron's statement, um, it really might be the most challenging, ambitious narrative I've ever watched. I mean, you need like a companion site open while you're watching this <laughs> and like charts and like even recap videos after you've seen it are like, wow, okay, I didn't even fully 
understand everything I'd seen. It, it's honestly a fascinating show to watch, and it's definitely not for everyone because – you know, especially in an age of TV where most people are on their phones a quarter of the time as they're kind of passively watching, it really requires like full, thorough attention. You know, it's very challenging and I love it. Well, right. And I only had time to watch season two once and I didn't have time to go back and rewatch season one. So I'm, I'm almost, you know, having trepidation about discussing the show at all because I feel like I just don't want to sound stupid, but uh, I did do some, you know, I watched a bunch of YouTube videos and I actually was, I went back and rewatched all the scenes with um, Adam and Noah. So I, I feel like those were the ones that required the most and, and some of the ones with Claudia as well that required the most, uh, you know, uh, rewatching and reinterpretation. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully you guys, between the four of us, hopefully we can piece together most <laughs> of the uh, important observations that need to be made here. Totally. And, and, you know, I was in the same boat as you. I didn't have a chance to rewatch season one. I wanted to. So I kind of just watched a couple of recap videos and I thought to myself, oh, my God, I barely remember this. Thing. This is so complicated. Like I'm in over my head. <laughs> but then eventually it all kind of started coming back. And, you know, with season one, at times I wondered if it was kind of a little bit of a mundane story that was just needlessly complicated for the sake of making it science fiction, but they really earned it, I thought, in season two. I mean, I, I'm really kind of impressed, and I can't wait to see where it goes in season three. Yeah, well, so let's get Rory in here. So, Rory, what were your overall impressions of this season? Well, I I'm going to be honest. I found the start of it, maybe the first three episodes, extremely challenging, like maybe the most challenging, head-scratching TV I've seen in a long time because I think we did the last podcast in maybe February of last year um, and I had watched it before that. I think I'd watched it before Christmas. I listened back to the start of the previous podcast and I'd watched it before Christmas. So I'd had was that 18 months between viewing it and when it came out, when I, when I saw it was coming back, I was really excited and the night it started, um, I hit play on season one and there's automatically... Uh, a recap you know it goes previously on season one or whatever and somehow i managed to skip that and i was like oh jesus and i tried to go back i couldn't do it so i just i couldn't remember anything um uh, really it started coming back to me so i found the first three episodes extremely confusing um i was trying to remember who was what and who who's he to her and what's their relationship and i could remember people there's noah there's jonas you know uh, michael is back and michael is really <laughs> michael in the future and then uh, when we hit kind of midway season f uh, sorry episode 4 when we see the appearance of adam and he gives us that big explainer everything just clicked for me there and then and i was like jesus uh, and from that moment on it, i just i was really able to get through that but I just think everything about it, we were talking, you guys were talking about season one. Did it, did, was there going to be a season two? Obviously, I've, I've read since that there's a, it's a trilogy now. Uh, I don't know where I read that, but there is going to be a season three. It immediately, I thought, looked like they had a bit more money to play with. You know, the special effects of the, the God particle looked a whole lot, uh, more polished. Um, but once I got in, past that initial, I'll be honest, I was really scratching my head, what's going on here? And then once it hit four, and we saw a lot of explanation and sort of a big reveals, I was so hooked. And I actually only finished it uh, the night before last, so I'm, I'm much fresher than I was during the last <laughs> podcast. But I was so impressed, I'm just so impressed by this program, by this show, it's just incredible. Well, you mentioned a recap, I didn't see any recap, and this show makes no effort whatsoever to 
you know, ease you back into the story or remind you who any of the characters are or what they were doing or anything. It's just like no, we're it, picking it, up it, straight it, it after. It came up on my yeah. It there came is up, one. Uh, uh, yeah, it came. There's it, a just, previously like a under, It yeah. doesn't help yeah. at all. <laughs> no, no, it's no, not well, in any way thing, helpful. Yeah. It's it's only like two and a half minutes. You're you're much better off with mm. whatever they got on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right, cool. So I have a I have two things that I, I've labeled as mysteries from season one that were actually explained. Um, one of them was I had wondered how did the poodle get through the door to time travel, and there's a scene where older Claudia comes and explains that she took the dog uh into the past i guess yes yeah um and then the other big mystery that actually was explained was how did mickel go end up going into the cave and traveling through time like why would he do that and it was explained that young some version of young jonas uh you know led him there so there was another one though a big one who is noah mm-hmm. which we didn't know at the end of season two and his like, relationship in terms of his with other characters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, so we well, yeah, had suspicions get... about some of his relationships to some characters, but the central ones were were completely we had no idea. Yeah, I'm talking about I guess I'm talking about more just sort of plot mechanical things than those kind of overarching mm. kind of mysteries, okay. but um but yeah, I, I know potential plot holes basically. Yeah, cuz I was really wondering like how does a poodle get through a door and I was wondering if there would ever be an explanation for that. And there was. So I'm going to assume they listened to the episode and decided to write that in. Yeah, that's probably good. And they probably (laughs) took your lack of confidence in a good season two as a personal challenge. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so let's see. So um, as I said, the the sort of main thrust of the story as we get back into it in season two is that Jonas is in this post-apocalyptic future. I was expecting him to spend a lot more time in the post-apocalyptic future than he actually did. Did that surprise anyone else how quickly we uh, we got out of the future? I I would have liked to have seen more of it, to be honest with you, um, because I'm a big sucker for anything post-apocalyptic, personally. Uh, I, who knows? It could have been a budgetary thing. Maybe that sort of setting cost more. Um, but I was I, I enjoyed the stuff. And especially, I, I don't know, did you guys watch um, uh, the Chernobyl on HBO? <laughs> just knew that you was, were going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. I mean, I was just because I only finished that a week or two before starting Dark. And um, I thought that was an incredible piece of television. And every time I saw that nuclear power plant, everything, I just kept going back to Chernobyl, Chernobyl. And it really freaked me out because I grew up you know, in the eighties and I can remember Chernobyl and it, it, it still, it just kind of resonated with me, but um, I would have totally liked to have seen more of what was it? 20, what year was it? Oh, 2053. 2053. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I did read somewhere. I believe that um, Chernobyl did have an impact on, on the German writers of the show. Uh, that was definitely influential in the whole concept from the get go. I think the, the, the actual Chernobyl or the HBO Chernobyl, No, the, the actual event. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I, I think that makes perfect sense, but it's funny because I, I almost had the opposite reaction. Um, I uh, was really glad we didn't spend more time in the future. I'm tired to the marrow of my bones of, of bleak, ash-filled, post-apocalyptic, monochromatic settings. So I actually found that really, I mean, it, I think it was very effective when they were there. Um, but to me, that was the least narratively interesting part of the whole thing. I, I was really afraid that we were going to spend, that we were going to have a kind of Terminator type plot <laughs> line there where it was like, we got to the future and we realized it was all bad and we we had to send Jonas back in time because blah, blah, blah. And I mean, there's obviously some 
um, some people propelling other people into time travel in this story. But I was I was glad that they took a far more original take on this than might have been suggested by the season finale of season one. Well, so then and then Jonas figures out how to get back to he's he's trying to he tries to get back to his own time and ends up in the 20s, which is totally your jam, Aaron. So I get you were probably just like, oh, my God, the 20s. This is awesome. Need more 20s. <laughs> but I wanted to know, you know, a little bit more about the post-apocalyptic. Was it just Wyndon? Was it Germany? Was it the whole world? Um, you know, he I think he Jonas started off. It was a great scene where he had to to uh, he set up like a stereo or something or an old uh, disc man to distract these guys in a personnel carrier and he had to climb on board and get fuel so he could power the generators to um stabilize the the god particle thing i I wanted i I, as i said i'm a sucker for post-apocalyptic stuff but i really want to know you know is it just it was did this apocalypse is it the whole world that's what i kind of wanted to know as well i thought they said pretty explicitly that it started in winden which made me think that it didn't you know it's not like what happens in winden stays in winden it just expanded out and it's a fair question though um and one that i definitely had uh to the degree that there were plot points that I thought were underexplained. Um, and again, this just just to interrupt myself here, I recall vaguely talking about a lot of things being underexplained in season one, and a lot of that patience ends up being rewarded in season two. And so by the end of season two, these writers have earned my trust in in a way. But where it stands right now is that I'm a little bit confused about how, regardless of how catastrophic that event was meant to be, how it could possibly spread beyond, um, let's, let's give it Europe and halfway across the Atlantic Ocean down into, you know, Central Asia, how it spreads beyond that, and what are the implications for the rest of the world, that was underexplained and perhaps a little dubious. Well, you know, um, to follow on both those thoughts, um, I did really enjoy the post-apocalypse scenes in the future. I'm kind of a, you know, a sci-fi guy at heart, so I wanted to spend time there. And I really liked that one sequence, um, stealing the fuel for the, for the God particle machine. Um, you know, if that's the, you know, I, I appreciated the scientific aspect this season because, well, with caveats, but if, if the God particle was essentially ground zero for the apocalyptic event, then that is a global thing, potentially. I mean, that's why when the Large Hadron Collider was open in, in CERN in 2008, people were freaking out about it, you know, alarmists. But, um, you know, in theory, like, that's what's going to destroy the universe one day is if the mass of the God particle or the Higgs boson ever changes. You know, but they say that's not going to be for billions of years or something. Um, but yeah, um, you know, with the two additional timelines, I mean, essentially we're in five timelines now with 1920 and also the 2053. So I guess there just wasn't a lot of time to spend in the future and there wasn't that much narratively to say there, but I, I definitely loved being there and it was cool. All right. So when we get to the the first thing we see in the 20s in this season, I think, is we see um, the young Noah murder uh, a fellow cultist who we never get his name. But I'm suspecting that that's adult Bartosz. Yes. Do people agree with that? I think that's the rumor certainly or the theory. Poss- <laughs> certainly possible. That is, that is the theory on YouTube. All right. I didn't. I didn't twig that earlier on, and but then Raphael sent a video around earlier, and the 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 person behind the YouTube channel said, 
question mark Bartos. So I'll have to go back and watch that again. I mean, the, just the actor looks very yeah. similar to Bartos. And once again, they have by and large done an amazing job of finding actors throughout the, the at least for many characters, at least three different time periods who credibly look like the people they're trying to portray. I think. It's really true. Yeah, they've done yeah, an astounding so- job on that front. I don't know how they do it. Like, how do you find someone that looks like Magnus? Nobody looks like Magnus, except they did. I thought that the old or the adult Magnus and Francesca was old person makeup. Is that is that not true? I don't think so. I thought old Magnus looked like William Hurt. <laughs> a little, <laughs> yeah, a little. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was William Hurt in Magnus makeup. Maybe. What a twist. <laughs> Um, yeah, actually, I should, I, we should, I should have looked at the uh, cast list, um, I, but I, I, yeah, they, you, you definitely, you saw old, you know, adult Magnus and he, and he looked just like young Magnus. So I, I was just assuming that was old person makeup, but I'm not hundred percent sure of that. Um, but so, yeah, so, I mean, but the big, I guess the big twist that I want to talk about is that, um, Jonas ends up in the past and he ends up meeting. So, so there's this organization called Sigmundus or the travelers who are the people who travel through time. And the main representative of them that we have seen in the past is Noah, this guy who's a Catholic priest or at least dresses like a Catholic priest. But we find out pretty early into this season that he's not really in charge, that there's this other character, Adam, who's been disfigured from traveling through time so much. And um, and and so, I, you know, I, I didn't immediately figure out who he was, but I remember thinking at one point, oh, I bet the reason that he's so disfigured is because it's to disguise his identity until the the revelation um and then when um jonas walks into that the library laboratory kind of place i was like oh shit it's him so yeah so the big twist is that the the main villain the leader of sigmundus is a uh highly disillusioned evil future version of jonas so um so or Aaron, is he wh- evil uh, sinister. Oh, how, how about sinister? I will. Uh... He's antagonistic. That <laughs> is, he is in direct opposition to the aims of young Jonas. But I think one of the things that the that the show did really effectively is, for me anyway, caused me to question at various points which team I'm rooting for, or if not, at least I guess I'm always rooting for sort of young Jonas. But to question whether you're on the right team is maybe a better way to put it. Where you sure. think that you're sympathetic with with Team Claudia slash Jonas, um, and and that Adam with all of his uh, disfigurement and and Noah with his cold calculating ways are evil, it does a really good job of making you question that, or at least it made me question that at several points. But I also I have to say, <laughs> I felt like there were a lot of uh, lessons learned from Star Wars in the storytelling here, because one of the things that Star Wars, the original trilogy did really well is you start off with this, this arch villain who seems about as arch villainous could possibly be in the form of Darth Vader. And then in the next episode, you're like, Oh wait, he's just a flunky. There's actually an eviler person behind all of this. Mm -hmm. And they kind of did that same thing. Um, And then, you know, instead of I am your father, it's like, I am you. But anyway, um, this kind of idea that, that he was Jonas, I didn't see coming. I definitely saw coming that he was going to be someone familiar to us. I guessed wrong. I wish I could tell you I even remember who I guessed. <laughs> I don't, but it wasn't Jonas. Um, I think that was the that was the point in where everything clicked with me when there was the big reveal that Adam was 
Jonas. That was when, after my initial confusion, I was like, okay, now, now I'm, now I'm Stephen. Now I know what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, and as well, I suppose to, to your point, Aaron, I, I certainly found in season one the big bad, as you alluded to, was was Noah, um, and you know the sinister priest. I kind of found him in season two a bit more sympathetic. Yeah. And one of the neatest tricks, just from a writing perspective, one of the neatest tricks I think you can pull is to get your viewer or your reader to question their sympathies. Um, and they kind of pulled it in a sense with Adam in that you get the sense that everything that he's doing, he's doing to protect his friends and family, but mostly Marta. But you don't really know why, because you're not privy to all the reasons why he moved from A to B. Yeah, I think they definitely pulled it off to a degree because essentially um, Noah – I agree also that Noah has become a very sympathetic character and I thought that was great. And uh, it's interesting because you know Adam does come across rather sinister and yet he's the one that's trying to break the cycle and essentially liberate everyone from the never-ending – the end is the beginning and the beginning is the end because otherwise they're just all stuck perpetually in this loop of of, of a surprising amount of incest actually when you really <laughs> okay well we'll get to oh, that in a second but so i i i, I my feeling is that adam is 100 percent evil and I, i'd be curious what you guys think his agenda is but the way i read it and i had to watch his scenes twice to really pick up on this but i think that what he's told people like what he's told his followers like noah is that their mission is to um, you know, destroy causality and they're going to then live in some sort of universe where they're, where time isn't, they're not like slaves to time that they, they're going to have some sort of, you know, extraordinary freedom that they've never had before. And it's going to be this kind of paradise, but that that's a lie. And that actually what he wants is that he's just weary of this whole endless cycles and just the idea of living over and over again and it never ending. And there is no way to stop that except to basically destroy the entire universe. Uh, so I think he's suicidal and he just wants to destroy all of reality because it's the only way to make this endless, these endless recursions stop. Uh, what do you got? I, I think for me, one of the, the most interesting and amusing projects of the whole thing is to try to speculate what Adam wants. I think that what you've just said is possible. I think another possibility is that he truly does want to break the cycle. I think still another possibility is that he wants to preserve the cycle so that he can continue to see Marta, whom he misses more than anything. He's completely fixated on it. And so by preserving the cycle, he can at least go back and see her and she's still somehow a part of his existence. And I think that there are ways that he can be an antagonist without being evil. Um, and although some of his motivations might be selfish, it's not clear to me yet whether what he wants doesn't make the most sense. And I like that ambiguity. Mm -hmm. I like that that speculation mm -hmm. of, of um, because, you know, of course, Claudia, too, is full of agenda. And her agenda remains even more opaque to a certain degree than, than Adam's, or at least as opaque. And so to the degree that these are the two people pulling most of the levers in terms of mobilizing the various pieces on the board, um, and the two sort of masterminds who seem to understand, as they put it, how the game is played... It's not obvious to me that that Claudia is the good one. I mean, just if you just refer back to who they are in the various timelines, if you use that alone as a benchmark, it's not clear to me that Claudia is the good one and and Jonas is the bad one. Right. 
I mean, if 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 not my explanation, does anyone else have an explanation for what Noah thinks Adam lied to him about and why he tries to kill Adam at the end? What, what was it not to do with the the pages and and yeah? Am I, am I no? There was the thing about the pages, the book, and the journal, and where Noah found the journal, and then he there there, there, there was that whole thing, and did that not have to do with uh, his fam- Noah's family and Noah's daughter, which we learn out, we learn about <laughs> later on. Yeah, well, let's let me just set that up. Yeah, so so there's this <laughs> journal, and we don't know who wrote it, um, but it basically describes everything that's going to happen in the future. And um, Noah, at the beginning, thinks that his mission in life is to make sure that everything in this book comes true. But some pages at the end have been ripped out, and he eventually gets them. He kills um, old Claudia and takes the pages from her and looks at them, and they reveal something that really unsettles him involving Charlotte, who's his daughter? Yes, uh, and uh, and yeah, okay. So, um, so Aaron, what did you want to you want to say something about that? Well, just that I think what he found out was that the journal is written by Charlotte. Um, and so I think the implication there is that to to break the cycle, at least what I took from it, is to that to break the cycle or do what Adam's trying to achieve. It will involve harming Charlotte in some way. Um, and Charlotte's descendants, one of whom is a, in one of the more mind-breaking twists, Charlotte's daughter is also her mother. Uh, right? Yeah. That's that's yes. correct. Yeah, they're, well, they're each other's yeah. mothers, they're, yeah. which we haven't got. They haven't explained how that works, though. But that's what's implied, isn't it? Well, but they have in a way because yeah. well, yeah, got, at the very end, yeah, yeah, because at the very end, we've got all a bunch of characters in the bunker. Um, one of whom is um, Charlotte's daughter, who Elizabeth, who ends up being Noah's wife. So in the bunker is young Noah, along yeah. with young Elizabeth uh, and and some others, uh, uh, Claudia among them, I think. So obviously, um, and they're you know they're not the same age, but there's not a huge gap between them. No. So obviously, at some point in the timeline, they end up growing up, I guess, into the future. Um, and having a baby who is Charlotte, I don't Charlotte. know, we're going to have to see how that works, but, <laughs> but um, then, so is it, is it that they, 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 they grew up and, and also Elizabeth, the daughter is also the leader of the, the post-apocalyptic gang. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, correct. That's yeah, that's yeah, and and Noah, she seems to have absorbed Noah's ideology as well. Yeah. yeah uh, so, so is the, uh, so. <laughs> so it's just mind bending. So, so herself and young Noah grow up and hook up, and they have the baby. And then, what do they? They travel back in time to yeah, nineteen pr- pretty clearly whatever using, it is. using the God yeah. particle, right? So, right. because the the timeline where the apocalypse happens is uh, is is twenty twenty. So at that point, Elizabeth is whatever she's supposed to be. What is twelve? She 14? looks like twelve or thirteen. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, and and young Noah is there, so that's the point of their their quote unquote meeting, if that has any meaning in the context of such a loopy story. But that's the first time that we see them together as contemporaries, and then going forward from that in a period that we don't see between twenty twenty and this this post apocalyptic landscape that we get later. That's the period mm. in which they become adults, they fall in love, they have a baby. And then at some point in the future, that baby has to then get zapped back to, I guess, the 50s? 
No, well, no, because well, uh, how old is Because otherwise, is how Charlotte? would Charlotte... Well, but it... Okay. Mm. Sorry, the well, 80s. No, no, but, do, do, no, but does the other God particle, doesn't the God particle that Adam has, that's able to... to um, It's not bound by the 33-year rule. So maybe they have yeah. that. Yeah, that's correct. That's true, although I don't know if they have contact with that God particle. But anyways... Hmm. See, so I want to get Raphael. The point I is, get, it's about Charlotte. I want to get Raphael back in here. Raphael, what do you think about this? What do you think about all this crazy, crazy shit? Yeah, you know, I thought uh, what this season did really well um, was lean into that whole predestination angle and causality loop paradox because the whole idea that there's no origin for so much of this stuff, uh, Charlotte and Elizabeth are each other's mothers and uh, how the time machine was never even really, like, who built it? Like, the book, who wrote it? You know, like, all that stuff with Tanhouse was fantastic. I just really enjoyed all that stuff, the whole idea that the future influences the past and vice versa, so that some stuff never actually has an origin. I mean, that's just a perfect paradox. I just want to mention that it's called a bootstrap paradox, named after the uh, Robert Heinlein story by his bootstraps, uh, I think from the 50s. Uh, So does that mean the book was never written? It just yeah. <laughs> that's what a bootstrap yeah. paradox is. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's what was so great about that scene is when Tanhouse is like, "I'm a fraud because who actually wrote this? It was given to me by someone. You know, apparently I wrote it in the future, but I didn't. You know, <laughs> like how Scotty in Star Trek got his own warp drive equation from Future Spock. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I just want to quote this in support of my theory about Noah. This is what Noah says to Adam before he tries to shoot him. He says, I know you lied to me. You never meant to save them. None of them. You're not waging war against God. You're waging it against humanity, um, which to me suggests something bigger than just that Charlotte or um, Elizabeth are going to be done wrong by Adam, but that humanity is going to be done wrong by Adam. Yeah, but maybe. My interpretation of that was that um, the first part is something that no one knows. And the second part is something that he is kind of just the emotional extension of that for him. That, you know, that he was told that his whole motivation for this is, is protecting the people that he loves. And he was told by Adam that his actions would serve to do that. And what he's essentially saying is that, you know, if you are trying to break this cycle then um, it's not going to protect the people that I love. It's not going to protect anyone. But that second piece is far less important to him. I mean, judging from his actions, some of which are are undeniably evil, it's it's obviously less important to him that other people get hurt. See, because I thought that, see, I thought what Claudia wanted was, I thought she wanted to make it so that time travel never happens. And that would essentially erase all the people who only came into existence because of time travel, which would be, Jonas, uh, Charlotte, and Elizabeth, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think Claudia, um, old Claudia, is essentially making sure that, I mean, Jonas wants to break that loop. He wants to prevent his father's suicide, but it's Claudia that reveals that he can't, that you basically can't undo all that, and it has to be seen through. And that's the whole bootstrap paradox in effect. Am I right? I, I mean, mm. I think one of the things... <laughs> that again is, is really interesting about this is there's what characters say that they want, but it's very clear that you can't take that at face value. So this is why I said, I think Claudia's motivations are opaque. There's what she says she wants, 
And, and again, we sort of see very human glimpses of what are the small, very parochial agendas that she's got at mm-hmm. play. One for her is protecting her daughter, Regina, who has cancer. And so she clearly wants to alter something because she doesn't want her daughter to die of cancer. Or at least right. that's where we see her in that sort of midlife stage. See, this is one reason I thought that maybe she wants to undo all the time travel stuff, because both her daughter and her father die in this timeline and, um, you know, involve and are, are both diagnosed with cancer, uh, which may be connected to the nuclear power plant and the um, Higgs boson and all that, all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, she may yeah, be acting possible. to protect her family. Right. She may just be manipulating Jonas. I mean, she is the white devil, apparently. So. Yeah, and and you you could be you could be right, Dave. That that's that that's what she wants. I think, but I but I do think we can't really take it at face value. And I'm still kind of. And by the way, we haven't even gotten into the whole other universes thing. Okay, wait, we're saving thing. we're saving that for the, the mm. end. Okay, we'll save that for the end. But my point being that there are a lot of moving pieces to this that make it so that I feel like it's a mistake to commit to any particular theory <laughs> at this point. Uh, Rory, what do you think? Well, uh, uh, as I said, I mean, I, I a lot of my my initial kind of three, four, three episodes was confusion, and then I moved into understanding. But there are some things that I, I just really, I, I, you know, I'd like to talk about that I liked. You know, there's that I thought it was a great scene um, where it's um, Ulrich and Katrina's wedding anniversary, isn't that it? And they're having a big party in the mm-hmm. house. And that's how we see Ulrich's relationship with uh, Hannah starting. It is Hannah, isn't it? Yes. Hannah, yeah. I, I actually had yeah. that it's their wedding anniversary. That's like such a bad time to start an affair. Like, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it's really bad taste. You know, wife is upstairs with your sick kid and you're downstairs uh, screwing your neighbor. But um, I just thought it was a really nice scene. And then I, I, I liked... You know, I don't. If you want to jump to it now, I liked as well Hannah's kind of arc in it. Uh, we saw really? her in season. No, well, we saw her in season. You mean one she goes from being this, totally evil to being totally evil? Totally <laughs> evil. No, we saw her in season one back in the eighties, causing trouble. You know, saying she saw this, that, and the other happen with Ulrich and got Ulrich mm-hmm. in trouble. And then we see her going back to nineteen fifties, where Ulrich is trapped in the psychiatric hospital because they think he's a child murderer and she shows up says oh that could be my husband and then it's Tiedemann I can't remember he's the detective I can't remember Egon 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 Tiedemann who is Claudia's father (laughs) Uh, you know then so Hannah comes back she goes to Ulrich Ulrich is like you know help me and she's sort of you know would you leave your wife for me right now? And I, he's, of course, he'd probably say anything. Uh, and then she sort of just leaves him there. She leaves him stuck in the 50s. And then at the very end of it, there is a suggestion that something happens between her and Egon. Maybe this is the storyline I, I like. Was, was I was I was I looking too? You no, no, you're was I you're one hundred percent spot on there. Yeah, no, yeah. definitely not reaching there. I think we're meant to wonder if that's what she's going to do for sure. And and it just because then I was left wondering: are are they going to have a kid? And who's that kid? Does he have an affair with her? You know, <laughs> right. he's married to. Yeah. You know, like what's happening now? No, he's too good. 
Hannah is definitely the worst. Although, you know, I, I felt for her when um, middle-aged Jonas came around. You know, those are some good scenes. I enjoyed their rapport. I, I appreciated that she actually kind of warmed up to the idea of time travel relatively quickly. Like, people in movies and TV are always like, that's impossible. But within 30 seconds, she's like, wow, I believe I believe it. Well, yeah, there were like 50 characters yeah. who had to accept time travel in, in this season. So they had to kind of like keep it moving along. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. that and and recall that she doesn't accept it all that easily. She's actually taken back in time to see her own son, her own right. husband be someone else's son. So, <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of hard to get your head around without that. But I just, I, I still got to say, this is my least favorite storyline by far. I think the the whole like, the the woman scorned being just unadulterated evil is just so damn tired. Mm-hmm. I, I I guess you know one of my few disappointments with this season was I I really liked Ulrich. He was one of the major characters. I feel like he was maybe the major character after Jonas in season one, and we yeah. saw very little of him in this season. That was kind of a a bit of a bummer for me. And I agree with I that. I thought he's a, he's a good actor. He looks great. I, you know, he's a very he's a great screen presence. And and to have him out of the picture and have an older character playing him in as an older version of himself in the eighties, uh, and I don't think they did a great job with the older actor either. To be honest with you, I didn't. I, we, you know, you were talking about how I did. Uh, I thought it was the same person. So? <laughs> no. Oh no, I was. He I looks was quite going, a lot I, like him with a little I, extra I nose. Like, I just looked at him as a come on, seriously. Really. Yeah, it didn't do it for me at all. I don't know. I really, I really appreciated that moment when uh, old crazy Ulrich was talking to Egon with the whole album thing. I mean, that was just a nice little touch when Egon was finally putting yeah. together the pieces. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree, David, that uh, he was in a lot of ways kind of the lead of season one, and I really appreciated that actor's presence. So it was a little disappointing. Kind of, I only had like two disappointments this season, and that was one of them that he wasn't around more. I, I think it, it was a little disappointing that he was in the fridge, but conversely, I, another really ballsy move by the show is you take this this charismatic, important character from, from season one and you fridge him for most of season two, but then you also take a bunch of characters who really didn't have much purpose in season one, and I remember harping on the fact that, like, why is Magnus? Why? Mm-hmm. Um and he doesn't have a huge purpose in season two, but they're hinting toward more of a purpose. They took some of these peripheral characters and, and started to flesh them out and give them roles in the narrative. And then they started flirting with some even more peripheral, like tertiary characters and hinting that they might also have more purpose. So one of them, for example, being this police detective who shows up out of the blue oh, yeah. um, to investigate the disappearance. Well, ostensibly to investigate the same things that Charlotte is investigating in terms of the disappearances, et cetera. But his real motivation is he's, he's tracking down the person who stole his dead brother's identity, um, who turns out to be, what's his name again? Alexander. Thank you, Alexander. Regina's husband. Yeah, exactly. Regina's husband, Bartol's father. Um, And so, and then there's uh, eye patch man, eye patch man who has been Waller. Thank you. Very. Why does he have an eye patch? And he was going to tell us that every time <laughs> he's going to tell us, he gets scene. cut off. And so clearly, this is going to be important, and they're just holding it in abeyance somehow. Oh, I thought it was. Just, I thought that was a running the, gag. I don't think it's ever going to. Maybe he's the brother of the the guy in the caravan. Yeah, he's, isn't he? the, so the he's Benny's yeah. brother, and so and so yeah. the prostitute. Um, Benny also seems to who who's 
just, you know, like by day I service gentlemen by night, I guard toxic waste. It's quite a side gig I have going here. Um, Benny also seems to have a, a role beyond just being a stick in other people's spokes. Um, so it's just, I don't know. It's just really impressive. You know, I thought that one subplot with Clausen, the inspector, seemed kind of superfluous. But to your point, Aaron, they clearly know what they're doing at this point. So I feel like that'll play out more later. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, exactly. That's the kind of thing I would have been harping on last year. But this year, they've they've earned the benefit of the doubt, I think. And either they have the most intricate master plan in history, or they're just like jujitsu masters and they just <laughs> roll with the punches wherever they come from. Yeah. I think they must have it plotted out. But, I, I, you know, we, we harped a lot last year on the lack of humor in this show. And I thought the thing with the eye patch, I thought that was a running joke. It, it just like you, you just wonder about it and, you know, he's about to explain it and you never get the explanation. It's just kind of silly. But um, you it know, would be was, a very Simpsons joke if so. There was one line I thought was unbelievably hilarious. Uh, and I, I was since we since we talked about the humor, I want to give the show credit for this. So there's a um, a scene where um, before Jonas went back in time the first time, he was on the beach with Marta and she was strongly hinting that she wanted him to kiss her. And he sort of chickened out and said, oh, I forgot I uh, told my grandma I'd help her with her iPad or something. And so then it's Jonas... Then Jonas from the, the, the sort of Jonas who's been to the post-apocalyptic future and everything comes in and he, he goes ahead and kisses her. And he says um, something like, we're a perfect match. Don't ever doubt that or something like that. And so then later on, she's at a, at the party and she runs into original Jonas who doesn't know. He never said that, right? And so she says, I've been thinking about what you said. And he says, about my grandma's iPad. <laughs> I thought that was the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> It was cute. Did, I, just that makes me wonder. Um, did did people mostly watch this with subtitles or mostly watch this with dubbing this time around? Oh, subtitles all the way. Subtitles. subtitles. Yeah. Okay. Me too. <laughs> just I guess I'll also just just on that subject. I mean, like most of the time when I'm watching shows and there's some sort of romance stuff, a lot of times I totally check out. Like it's so you know cliche and predictable and Ew, i don't care is this a kissing book yeah no exactly exactly but like the relationship between um jonas and marta like the, the, there was that scene in season or in, in that scene in season one where they're kissing in the rain and he tells her they can't be together and she doesn't know why and then this this kiss on the beach um in this just i i found so effective and just like made me you know, it's like, oh, this is what life is all about. This is what love is all about. This is like what's great about being alive is like emotions like that. And that's just so striking that the show made me feel that way. Because like I just said, most of the time, I, I just feel so road and pro forma and I, I don't care at all. Well, not to mention it got you to look past the low key incest angle, I mean, which is, <laughs> you know, yeah, which is right, always yeah. kind of an achievement. You know, it's like when you find yourself rooting for that, you're like, damn. <laughs> Gross. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. I think one of the reasons that people don't always respond to romance um, subplots is that sometimes they're just really not very well written. And even when they are well written, sometimes through no fault of anybody, the the, the actors involved have no chemistry. Um, but so for this, I think they, they just really is a lot of natural chemistry between those two actors. And I think that actually is probably more than a sort of small point because you have the sense 
whether it's true or not, at least I did by the end of season two, that you have the sense that the relationship between Marta and and Jonas is like the center of gravity for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's the it's the eye of the vortex and and what motivates all of the sort of original sins to the degree that you can even identify those. Um, and it doesn't just span time. Apparently, it spans a multiverse. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> We're going to get to that later. Um, but just to say that, so if you didn't buy that relationship, um, then it would all kind of fall apart, wouldn't it? For sure. All right, I think I think this is a good time to get into my section. Things from season one I still don't understand. So this isn't even like stuff from season two I, I don't understand. This is stuff that I was wondering about at the end of the season one and I'm still wondering about. So I, I felt like it was such a big part of the story in season one that these kids were being murdered and kidnapped and sent through time and their dead bodies were being found out of chronology and all this kind of stuff. And I felt like that kind of dropped completely out of the story in season two. Um and I'm still not sure why, other than that that's the way it had to happen according to the notebook. But is there anything else to say about why these kids were all being kidnapped and murdered in this story? You mean why these specific kids or why any kids? Uh, I guess we'll start with why any kids. Well, there was the first kid that, that, that kind of I can't remember his name. There was the red-haired kid that was in the weird room with the creepy machine and he had his eyes melted off. Um, and that was Noah. That was that supposed to be? A, and I'm trying to remember back. That was and I didn't get brother, no? What, yeah, no, no, was no. That sort of Noah. No, it was no, the, was the kid Noah, whose drugs got. Oh, they, they went to go looking for. Yeah, was that Noah experimenting with this device, this time machine? That was the initial thing, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was half that, and I wouldn't be surprised if in season three they delve into that a little more. I mean, given how small a community this town is seemingly and how everyone is connected to everyone they would have to be very careful about who they experiment on and and kill and and, you know to make Mm. sure that doesn't have like any actual ripple effects so they were probably given like a list of names of who they who of who is expendable maybe but don't they haven't they had a working time machine since 1920 like in the in that mansion like why do they need to do experiments well there, I'm a little hazy on this, to be honest, but I mean, there's a few different mechanisms by which they travel time, and the the chair was something that they were still working on and experimenting with into the 50s, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So That's what I got, yeah. My take on it was actually kind of the opposite of you need to be careful who you put in the chair so it doesn't have ripple effects. My take on it was you put people in the chair so it does have ripple effects. Um, I, I don't think it was any accident that they that they mobilized. The, the only one I'm not totally clear on is the one the kid that was Elizabeth's friend. Um, yeah, he doesn't seem yeah he doesn't seem to be connected to anybody else. But the other two do serve a mobilizing purpose, and especially um, what's the brother's name? Mads. Mads, thank you. Um, Mads serves a mobilizing purpose, much like the disappearance of of, of Mikkel serves a mobilizing purpose. Um, and so he was chosen precisely for that reason by Adam in order to make sure that the, that the gyre keeps spinning. As for the chair, my assumption was that the God particle is created in the 80s. Sorry, in the O's? I've forgotten. It's, it's in the O's. It's, it's the 2020 timeline that the God particle is first created. Right. Um, and so somehow that, that first time that Jonas gets sent back and doesn't have access to 
a time machine or any other means, at that point, he probably has to recreate the God particle. Like that there's going to be some point in the timeline where he's stuck and he needs to recreate it from scratch. That was kind of one of my lingering questions. I know it's kind of neither here nor there, but speaking of, you know, particle accelerators and, you know, colliders like, you know, the LHC, a nuclear reactor alone wouldn't create a Higgs boson. So I, I know I'm being a, a geek about that, but I was wondering how they actually created. That's a that good part. point. This show sucks. No, there's yeah. there's some hand waving there, and and thinking more about what I just said, that that doesn't make sense to the degree that Noah's able to bop around as he likes in order to execute these plans to kidnap specific children in order to test the chair. In order to do that, he already has to be able to bop around. So right. there's yeah, there's still some questions there for sure. Well, it's all definitely a little vague. I mean, for one thing, when you walk into the particle, how does it? It just knows where you want to go, I guess. Or like what exactly? Yeah. Okay. Then my other thing is that I was wondering is when these kids are getting abducted and sent through time and everything, they put like coins on red thongs, I think, around their necks or whatever. Um, do we still not have any idea what's going on with that? Could that be a date thing, a date on the coin? Well, we talked about that last, last year, but we've we decided it didn't really work. Um, I, I wonder if those are meant to be replicas of the patron, patron saint of time traveler coin that Marta and Jonas um, share back and forth at some points. Uh, it's just uh-huh. like an emblem of, of Sigmundus. The other question for me is, where does all the God stuff come in? So... I, I know they refer to it as the God particle, but but why does Jonas decide to take the name Adam and you know confer the name Noah on his follower? Like what what's with the biblical Was, names? Wasn't there some like hermetic text that they were all obsessed with in season one that um the the guy who may be Bartosh in the first scene of season two had tattooed on his chest? I think, but they never really got mentioned uh, mm. in season. And two. Noah has that tattooed on his back. Right, right, right. yeah. Hmm. You know, one of my only minor criticisms with season two was, um, I guess they both related to Adam. Um, for one thing, we kind of talked about earlier, like, w- at what point did you realize it was Jonas? Um, I kind of realized just with the, with the wardrobe design, since he was obscuring his neck. So to me, that was kind of mm. a giveaway. Um, but uh, the one question I, you know, the one time I questioned if they really had every single thing planned out was I would have liked to have seen the Adam character show up at the very end of season one if he was truly part of the plan all along. I don't know. To me, that seemed like something they maybe made up on the fly. Yeah, or be, be mentioned. Like he, he never got men- just the name Adam never got mentioned in season one, right? Right. I would have liked a mention. I don't know. I I like I like being surprised about the new big bad myself. On my on my coin thing, one person commented on our video on YouTube and mentioned that I don't remember this at all, but apparently when Ulrich tried to kill uh, child Helga. He had like given him a coin right before that or something, so maybe Helga reenacts I, that somehow. I saw that. Hmm. I didn't remember it at all either. Can't remember that. Yeah. All right. We'll have to go back and rewatch season one again for the third time. <laughs> um. All right. Cool. Any before we get to the uh, parallel world stuff, any anyone have any non-parallel worlds related uh, topics they want to bring up? Well, I'm always impressed when the actual device makes an appearance, the the time machine in a box. I think it's mm-hmm. 
And is that another one of those bootstrap uh, issues? You know, absolutely. Because Claudia came back with the blueprints and gave it to Tanhouse to make. So again, it has no real origin. But I think the design of it, I, I would love to just own it. <laughs> I just <laughs> and I was watching it with my wife, and, and she's just like, it's just everything about it. it, it the way when they open it, the design of it. Yeah. The sound, the sound is, just, is amazing. Oh, the sound is amazing. And I recently bought a new television and uh, I, I signed up. I, I thought I'd give it a go of the Netflix 4K uh, version that they do. And uh, it just this looks absolutely glorious in about as high definition as you can get. And it sounds fantastic. And when that time machine opens up, I, I'd love to know more about that. I mean, everyone seems fairly au fait with how to operate it. You know, Hannah can go back to 1950, whatever. You know, is she given a crash course? There's all kinds of dials. You have mm. to set your date. Is it, you know, is it like the, 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 the time machine and back to the future? You dial in your date and off you go. Like, I just, I think it's fantastic. I just love that. You know, it started to remind me of the movie Primer a little when I was wondering just how many of those machines were, you know, around at any one time. At, at least two, but sometimes more, maybe. I don't know. I thought it was pretty interesting. I think I there was the design of it too. I think there was a point where there were three of that time machine all in the same time. Hmm. If I'm because old Claudia buries it in the the fifties plot of land that's going to be developed right. into her 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 younger self's home uh, and that's another scene that i love when old claudia goes into the nuclear power plant meets her younger self and then her younger self walks over to the window i'm a sucker for this in time travel movies or anything like this when she goes over and she says oh the secretary is going to open her drawer and take out her pen i, I love that kind of stuff i just i'm all in on that yeah i i like that stuff too but i gotta say i'm looking at it thinking damn that's quite a memory <laughs> although i suppose yeah, that is exactly. a red letter moment in, <laughs> in what does it you see then i have a question is it does she remember it when when all of these things are happening in a loop are you remembering mm -hmm. it as as it's happening do you know well what that's I mean? just that's just here? it uh, to, to Aaron's point, I think it would be a ridiculously obscure little moment to remember, except that it was a singular causality loop moment. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. she only remembered well, it because it had already I, happened. And would she she wouldn't have remembered if she if she hadn't have told herself to go and look out the window. Exactly. Yeah. All right, yeah, just a couple basically. more qu questions I want to throw out there. So, does anyone know why Inez is drugging Mickle with sleeping pills? Or I do we have about that too? Do we have any idea who Agnes's husband slash Tronte's father is now that we know it's not Noah since he is her brother? I guess with the sleeping mm. pills, I didn't necessarily think there was anything too nefarious, just that she was, I don't know. I mean, she is a nurse. I thought she was just maybe trying to help. It seemed pretty nefarious because she hides, you know, somebody sees, I forget who, but somebody sees them on the dresser or something and she's like, oh, I've been having trouble sleeping. And it, it didn't seem like, it seems like, subterfuge to me hmm. yeah she's trying to sneak the drugs out of the hospital yeah right right yeah also, exactly also that and, and as well back in the 20s is this is the scene is the kind of love affair between agnes and whose mother is that again charlotte's you know, you know, mother is it not charlotte's grandmother charlotte's mother you know they're obviously you know they're claudia having, i mean they're having claudia. A, claudia yeah claudia's mother is does that add anything to it? Is it necessary? Yeah, that's what I'm. I was just wondering. You know, what is that needed? Why is what you know? Why why did they put that in? I think there's a lot of questions about Agnes <laughs> that aren't answered. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it was you know necessary, but I, I definitely liked it. I thought that was a cool little subplot. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. There's yeah. a line where Claudia is it the old Claudia says to Agnes. 
you know, my mother, you make my mother, or you, mm -hmm. you, the two of you make each other happy or something like that. So maybe that's just part of mm -hmm. her character arc and that's setting up, you know, a happy ending for that character at the end of the yeah. series. Doris. Yeah. Doris right. Tiedemann. Doris Tiedemann, yeah. Oh, yeah, Egon's wife, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is another one where it would not surprise me in the least if this relationship becomes more important later. And and Agnes, for me, is is basically a total mystery. Her yeah. past is a mystery. Her future is a mystery. Why she decides to turn on her brother, like why she fell out with Adam in the first place, why she decides to turn on her brother. I think the reasons for all of this must play a role in the story that we haven't yet been shown. Another thing people were pointing out on YouTube, I didn't notice this, but Alexander Tiedemann his real name, or at least the name, his previous alias was Boris Niewald. And Niewald seems like an awfully convenient combination of Nielsen and Conwald. Mm. Um, oh. That is <laughs> interesting. <laughs> like, it's, if, if, if that has no significance, it just seems like sort of an odd choice of name for him, for that character. You know, the, like I said before, I think this is either... The, the, the most masterfully plotted thing or like somebody <laughs> standing before a fridge with magnets <laughs> and just throwing magnets with character names on the fridge and then randomly connecting. <laughs> I mean, honestly, decisions. when I, when I think about the writer's room for this show, all I can picture is that, that meme of Charlie Kelly from always sunny. You know, the one I'm talking about where he's like oh, yeah, coming yeah. up with a conspiracy theory <laughs> in the mail room. I just picture a lot of pot smoke. <laughs> What I found interesting was um, there's all the talk about wind and, and you know, everyone is linked. But I, I, I just it, it suddenly it, I realized that, you know, we have other shows like Stranger Things where we're kind of you're aware of the, the sense of a town. We never really see like a town center or, you know, a, a central location. Um, right. You know, you have the school, you have the power plant, but everyone seems kind of isolated and they do these, they set up these long shots. They're kind of establishing shots of the outside of Hannah's house or whatever, the outside of the, uh, mm -hmm. Katrina and Ulrich's house, but we never see, you know, uh, a place where I think it, they maybe did it in season one, you know, where they were all in the school, but there's no like town of yeah. Wyndham. Well, you know, it's I interesting. I kind of noticed that. I wonder why do they do that? I'm always kind of fascinated by, uh, looking into the real world places when, you know, shows like this, like, you know, how there's, there's not actually a Hawkins, Indiana, for instance, in Stranger Things, mm. but Wyndon is kind of, I was reading up on it and I guess the writers kind of just created it from their collective experiences growing up in towns like it. But there is, interestingly enough, a town, um, with this very similar name, like Wyndon something something in Germany, but Wyndon actually means twist or spiral. So they definitely named it uh. purposefully. Well, since you mentioned Stranger Things, I guess one thing I wanted to talk about is I feel like everyone now is talking about Stranger Things and not that many people are talking about Dark, that, that at least right. that I've seen. I mean, just kind of asking around, uh, a lot of people were like, oh, no, I, I've been meaning to watch that, but I haven't watched it. And as I said, this is my second favorite show on TV right now. So I'm just curious if you guys share that impression that it's not getting the attention that it deserves. Well, I, I speak to people. In, I, I speak to people in work, and you know, yeah. Well, I'm watching Stranger Things. They say, "Oh, you know," and we talk about what you're watching. I said, oh, "I'm watching this cool show called Dark. It's a German time traveling 
it's a sort of a real head melter and they kind of look at me no i've seen it but i don't want to watch it and i was listening to another podcast and the two guys uh one of the ringer podcasts and the two guys were saying they feel like they're in a almost like an exclusive club because <laughs> you know they they write content about it for their own website and you know they're in a, they're in a minority i'd love to know and netflix famously doesn't give away figures um i i would love to know how it's doing i'd be fascinated to know i'd love to know how it's doing in 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 germany for example i mean it's mm-hmm. a big market for them over there I, i'd love to know how it's doing and obviously they're confident in it sure. um you know because they've they've greenlit two seasons and you know it looks like a third but I, i'd love to know the, the kind of numbers on it mm. i mean it, it's i i said last year and i and i stand by it like the 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 knee-jerk comparison with Stranger Things is just, it doesn't do either property any favors. And I, I really, I really like Stranger Things, but it's popcorn. It's, yeah. it's unapologetically popcorn and nostalgia and, and it will appeal to just about anybody, particularly just about anybody of a specific age group, a, a fairly wide age group. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, this show is not going to be for everybody. This is, this is haute cuisine. This is a, mm-hmm. a really specialist kind of, um, property. And so it's going to be really shiny for, for people like us who enjoy these kinds of shows. But I, I think it's definitely fair and not at all surprising that it, it hasn't received, you know, leave aside stranger things, but maybe even something of, of a more middling notoriety. The show is just too hard. It's, you really have to want it. Yeah, I've, I've been trying to sell this show to all my friends, but honestly, I've been having limited success. Um, maybe I'm not doing a good job of hyping it right. Cause yeah, it's got, I always tell people, you know, it, it's very superficially got elements of Stranger Things, like only the eighties storyline, maybe at best. Um, and you know, it's got elements of Lost, but I tell them you really have to pay attention. It's really challenging, you know, but it's worth it. But you know, maybe that just sounds like homework. I don't know, but I don't know what show to exactly compare it to, but, um, I wish I could get more people to watch it yeah but but maybe we need to be uh maybe the problem is we're not you know we're not germans who grew up in the 80s because i did notice on the geeks guide facebook page i think david teased this episode and uh people were talking about raider bars and they got a great laugh out of that and i think david you actually asked you know yeah. that's so funny <laughs> yeah i still don't honestly understand why that's funny but I, i'm glad that <laughs> i'm glad that other people are uh, are enjoying it, it. it's got to be doing okay in the states because um you know Germany is it is a decent sized market, but it's it's nothing compared to the U.S. And those of us who write books know that you know your publisher might be slightly chuffed if you do okay in the U.K. or in, or in Germany or wherever. But they really only care about the U.S. because the size of the market, or you know, if you're in other lines of work, um, some of the Asian markets because it, they're just they're just huge. So I just given the expense of this. Um, I mean, I don't know what it is, but I would have to assume that it would need to perform outside of Germany in order for it to be worth it for Netflix. Right. You know, I think to some degree, uh, foreign language shows are always going to present a barrier. I- I've been trying to get people to watch the 3% or I guess it's just called 3% on Netflix yeah, for a couple years. I started that and I couldn't get into it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I liked it. But, you know, I, I just know like I-, I recommend it to friends and they say, yeah, they'll, they'll check it out. But then they don't. Actually, so so on that subject, someone on YouTube said, uh, I think 12 Monkeys got to mention here. This is 12 Monkeys, the TV show. 
but I'm not sure if anyone involved in the podcast has seen the show. It far surpasses the film and is the most well-planned out show with one of the best finales I've ever seen. I only wa- I watched the first episode and it didn't really grab me, but um, I don't know. The idea that it might compare favorably in terms of time travel plotting to this would maybe make me more interested in it. That's a good comparison. You know, I actually, I only watched season one and I've been meaning to go back and check out the rest, but it was good. I was aware of the 12 monkey show. I, I may have watched the first episode, but uh, it didn't. I don't think it did. I was a huge fan of the movie, um, but uh, I don't think the show did. I, I may, I'll go back and take another look at it now that everyone seems to be uh, uh, on its side. It definitely gets better as it goes and it gets pretty complicated. So I honestly, I'd kind of, forgotten about it but that's a good comparison i think quality television and to a certain extent is like quality shoes the harder they are to break in the better they wear in the long run Mm. that's deep that's deep but you know the, the really the really high quality ones do give you blisters in the beginning or at least they can do um and i think that's true of of this show certainly is that you you do have to suffer a little bit at the beginning before you get into the groove. And and I think a lot of people just aren't prepared, reasonably enough, aren't prepared to put in that investment. Well, I'm all for popcorn. I'm, I'm all for big and loud and I'm all for big, stupid superhero movies. I love them. And I, I'm, I've, I've, I've started to love them even more because I have a 10-year-old boy and he's getting <laughs> into them. But, uh, you know, I, you know, superheroes hitting each other, I could watch it all day long. But to sit down on a you know on a friday night have a glass of wine and just try and work this stuff out i'm i love every minute of it you know to that other point though aaron i think that's true people have such a limited um attention span not just in general but for how much they're willing to you know i used to give any show three or four episodes but i think these days people if they don't like it in the first episode or two sometimes they won't even finish the first episode and it's too bad because you know i've tried to recommend farscape and stargate to some friends and admittedly those shows start off pretty rough at the outset um but then they turn into these amazing shows but a lot of people don't even have the patience to get that far And I think that's one of the downsides of this so-called golden age of television is that we do have such a glut um, and it's going to continue with the fierce competition between now the new streaming services that are coming online, um, you know, with with Amazon kind of starting to hit its stride and Disney and all the rest of it. This this glut of content means that you, you have to win just that much faster because there's just so much competition out there, this blizzard of high quality content for you to choose from. And we all yeah. live busy lives. Um, and, and, and it has to land quickly. It's, you know, but I think, you know, the, the other, the other big downside that I've talked about on this show before is the sort of the way that that pulls us toward known properties and big brand, big box properties, right. as opposed to some of these more idiosyncratic, um, indie properties that are well worth the investment. Uh, yeah, and that's just, definitely, that's just the way it is, I guess. All right. We, we, we're running short on time. So we need to, let's talk about the parallel world stuff. Oh, yeah. So, um, so at the, uh, at the end, pretty much, uh, Jonas has been, you know, young Jonas has been reunited with Marta and then Adam shows up and shoots and kills Marta saying that this is the traumatic event in his younger life that is going to turn him into the embittered, you know, villainous kind of person that he is today. And he walks out. And then as um, Jonas is sort of crouched over Marta's body crying, uh, another version of Marta shows up who looks very different in terms of her dress and hairstyle and stuff. And she says, I'm not who you think I am. 
but we got to get out of here. I'll explain later. And she takes out a little like pocket size time machine thing that we've never seen before and starts setting it up. And he says, what time are you from? And she says, the question is not what time, but what world? And then they blink out of existence. So, uh, so Rory, what'd you think about that? Uh, I loved it. <laughs> I loved, I loved the way she was sort of, she was a kind of harder looking version of Martha. Um, she, she showed up, she meant business, you know, she wasn't hanging around. Um, Jonas is like, what the hell is going on? I loved her miniaturized time machine. And I liked the way they still, it, it was miniaturized, but it, it was still, uh, there was still a clockwork vibe to it. Um, which I thought was really cool. And, you know, when she said, you know, not what, what, not what time am I from, but, you know, what world am I from? I was like, oh, Jesus, now I've got to waste, what, a year and a half for season <laughs> three? I I just, now, now where do they go? I mean, are we going to see alternate planets? Are we going to see, you know, but at the same time, is that the end of the time travel stuff, which I'm a big fan of? Uh, it was just, I thought it was, a, I thought it was a great ending. I just, I really, I loved every second of it. Well, right, because I, I feel like they had pushed time travel about as far as they could by the end of season two. So I feel like they did need to introduce some other twist or something. I don't think it's going to be parallel worlds. Like she's from a world where there's like dinosaurs and stuff. I mean, I, I think it's like sliders or something. Sliders. Yeah. Yes. I, well, I think it's yeah. going to be more that they're bouncing between different branching timelines based on the event of this you know you know so so like she comes from a world where um you know okay so so for example so um jonas um is trying to say prevent his father from committing suicide and um and then wait the old claudia says something like i've seen a world where that happened and you wouldn't like it or it's not any better or something i may be getting a little, some details confused here but there's this implication that you know there are different branches of these events and i feel like she probably comes from some other branch you know like where is his it, father isn't that a, isn't that a, a like a quantum thing where instead of you know if you go back in time and you kill your father you don't exist if you go back in time and you kill your father it creates another timeline and another timeline so yeah you know, these different this has been like on the minds of sci-fi fans a lot recently because of Avengers Endgame. It's kind of very similar to that whole, you know, branching timelines or is that a, a multiverse? They haven't exactly defined it yet in the Marvel movies, but s similar concept. I mean, we're basically dealing with the same thing. Um, yeah. Because, you know, Captain America, he goes back and he lives a whole separate life. But that was a different timeline. Was it a different reality also? Or just, you know, like you said, can it be a loop that can be closed or can it be realigned at some point? And, and it was amazing. I have to say, from my part, my initial reaction was, oh, what? <laughs> like, it's already this complicated and you're going to complicate it further. But I, I really loved everything about it from the subtle parts of like, I loved the echo to, to what Mikkel had told his dad with his magic trick all the way back in season one, where he says the question isn't how I did it, but when I did it. Um, I don't know if you remember that. And then, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So then Ulrich makes reference to that briefly in, in season two, where, you know, it's, it's not about how, it's about when. And so now she's saying it's not about when, it's about where. Um, and so they're, you know, expanding the discussion even more. But I also just loved that, that Marta's in the driving seat in this scene. She has spent two seasons largely being reacted upon. Um, she she's been or acted upon rather that she's been in reactive mode where she's trying to figure out what's going on. She's had agency, but she hasn't been sort of a, a mover and a shaker in the way that a lot of these other characters have been. And she's, she's kind of been the, in a certain way that archetypal, um, 
you know, the, the hero's lost love that he's trying to get back to. And she's kind of waiting on the porch kind of vibe. And, and here she's clearly breaking out of that role. And now she's, she's an engine of movement. She's rescuing Jonas. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see. Not only do I like that for her character, but I like the possibilities it opens up for all of these other familiar faces who might be acting in very different roles. Um, the, the paths of ones are, are more um, proactive. The, the proactive ones are more in the back seat in these alternate universes that we might glimpse. So I just, I just love kind of shaking that snow globe and seeing where it mm-hmm. all lands all over again. Yeah, the cosmology of the show is really fascinating to me because it was already interesting that they kind of went with the science fictional take on the whole timeline thing. I mean, essentially how they were counting down to the apocalypse across every timeline because the timelines are happening concurrently, um, which is kind of hard to wrap your mind around, but it's interesting. But then also to have the whole other reality thing. I, I agree with what Aaron just said. I, I love it. I thought it was a great cliffhanger you know, thing to look forward to. Well, and the question is, does the adult Jonas and Adam, did, they, did this happen to them in their youth, or is this a completely new development that's completely shaking up every, everything about this timeline? And my, my sense is that it is. I, I, don't, I didn't get the sense that Jonas or um, Ad, you know, adult Jonas or Adam were expecting this to happen. I agree with that. It feels like a new wrinkle, because like, this isn't the first time through, so things are still changing. It's kind of almost like how the Terminator future keeps changing. No matter what they do, it's the same, but it changes. And David, you think uh, they're going to ditch the time travel altogether for season three, or do you think it'll still be there? No, I, I, no, 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 because I, I think there will still be time travel, but I think that you'll have at least one branching universe. You know, there, there'll be like, you know, I, I think there, there'll be, we'll, we'll probably, I think they, tra- prob, you know, Marta and Jonas have probably traveled to her universe and he'll spend a little bit of time there. Like he spent a little time in the um, uh, post-apocalyptic future and then they'll come mm-hmm. back to the events mm-hmm. of, that's what I'm imagining anyway. Yeah. Which will make it even more challenging. Um, <laughs> like we'll have not just narratively, but it'll also make it emotionally more challenging to the degree that. Uh, the the more characters that you add, the more difficult it is to care about any one of them as individuals. You know, you sort of only have so much, perhaps so much empathy to go around. Um, and and I do think like if you introduce yet another timeline with um, or or another universe or whatever you want to call it, um, with some of these main characters replicated over again. That leaves a little bit less bandwidth for some of these peripheral characters whose storylines are already maybe struggling to, you know, get enough oxygen to totally mix a metaphor. So I just hope they pick up a an Ulrich and then he bring him back <laughs> so that oh, we get Ulrich back in the story. Yeah. I mean, but it'll be harder and harder to sustain, of course. The more characters there are, the more difficult it is to give them all something meaningful to do. And it's just that simple. I think we're also going to see, you know, we last saw Katarina going into the cave and I suspect she's going to come out in the fifties and there's going to be some, like a clash between her and Hannah in the past. Oh, yeah. That's my prediction. Okay. But if anyone pulls anyone's hair, I'm out. <laughs> That's like a ripcord for me. That's pull the shoot straight away. Well, Katrina's tough. I'd say she just goes straight in for the kill. So I guess a year from now, you can see if Aaron's on this panel, and if she's not, you can <laughs> assume some hair pulling happens. Uh, I guess we're looking at, what, another 18 months, though? So maybe, yeah, 2021? 
Well, I, didn't, they I didn't read anything about season three. I didn't. Uh, has any has anyone seen anything about season three? Well, or? apparently there's stuff online where there were like production photos that give stuff away that's going to happen. I very intentionally avoided all that stuff because I I yeah. don't want to know that. Right. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I saw some speculation because because each of the release dates has had some internal significance in the chronology. Like so, this one was released on the date that the apocalypse happens. Season two was in the you know in the show that's fantastic. so um i forget there somebody said the date is probably going to be something or other but now I, I can't remember the details but it's based on some significant event in the in the show it is kind of ironic speaking of stranger things that it was almost exactly the same date i think only one day off is the the critical date in season three of stranger things and of course stranger things did the same thing they released on the fourth of july with a yeah. critical plot point happening on the fourth of july yeah. Which I tend to think in the case of Dark is probably a retrofit, but maybe I'm not. I mean, I should know better than to not give these guys enough credit. What do you mean by a retrofit? That they changed the, they edited the show to make it match the date they wanted to release it on? Yeah. I mean, we didn't know when the apocalypse was, so they could have made it whenever they like. So when their production schedule says we're going to land on X date, they go, okay, that's the date of the apocalypse, I think. Oh, that's a. That's a good point. And the it's actual easy. date of the apocalypse. <laughs> because they don't actually say the date, it just shows up on screen, doesn't it? They said it, I'm pretty sure. I think. Didn't they well, say but they could have just recorded a line of dialogue yeah, I mean, or something. It's, yeah. it's super easy to do. It doesn't matter. I don't think it makes it any less cool, but you know No, I think it would have been cool though if they filmed this like ten years ago and then they released it to the <laughs> date. You know. <laughs> That's like German efficiency right there. It's like that that movie Boyhood, kind of. Oh yeah. Um, all right, so cool. So I know Aaron has to go. So let's uh, let's get some final thoughts here. So any uh, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? So Rory, final thought. Uh, just um, well, I know that the people that are listening to this are are people that are in on the show, or else if you're listening to this, you're, <laughs> you probably wonder what the hell is going on. But I mean, it's just again, it's it's one of these shows. I think I said it in the first podcast that has stuck with me. Um, you know, I, I watched it. I'd go to bed every night thinking about it, trying to work out, you know, how is, you know, she, his grandmother and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> I, 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 oh, just, and I would, well, how did this happen and what's their relationship? And it is something you have to work at. I mean, you have to look up the, I mean, Netflix has a great website, dark.netflix.io, and it's actually really well designed. It's like, got, it's got three categories, who, what, and when. And, uh, you know, it tells you about each character and it, it's got spoilers that you have to reveal yourself if you, if you haven't progressed enough in the series. And it's good to work. You know what? As I said, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I, I love superheroes hitting each other, but to, to work and to have to think, I, I, I love it. I just, you know, you, you can discuss this with people. Admittedly, it's a very small group of people that I'm discussing with this with. Um, but it's a quality, well, a small quality group of people. <laughs> it, no, it is. It is, and you're, you're kind of you're, you're trying to work it out in your head. And I have listened to other podcasts. There are other podcasts out there, uh, and I have listened to them about that. And uh, everyone is on the same kind of vibe. You know, people are just trying to work this show out and. Uh, I would love to sit down with the creators. There's an interview on vulture.com uh, with the two creators, I think. I haven't read it because I was kind of saving it. I'm, I'm going to sit down now that season two is over I'm, and I'm going to uh, to take a, a deep dive on that and, and, and suck up as much as I can on this because I'm just, I'm fixated. 
I, I spent about 30 minutes yesterday trying to figure out whether genetically it was possible for two women to be each other's mothers, and uh, I'm still well, not actually it. sure. That's another one, yeah. Yeah. Well, did you ever see that um, Ethan Hawke movie, Predestination? Pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, similar, kind of. It's based on a Robert Heinlein story called All You Zombies. So Right. Great name. I haven't seen it. But, I mean, I think that's the thing, too, is like I, I, I finished watching this probably three weeks ago at least two weeks ago and I'm still digesting and, and working it out. And, you know, the only thing that, that I would want to say, like, like Rory said, I think we're preaching to the choir in terms of this is good. Uh, this is a good show and you should watch it. I think if you've stuck with this podcast for an hour and 25 minutes, you've probably already seen it or you're just, I don't know, some <laughs> kind of masochist, but anyway, um, you, you, you like it. Um, so I would love to hear the theories about season three. And I know there are lots of places to hear theories about seasons season three, but I, I would be very particularly interested in the theories of, of your listeners, Dave, about what what's going on in season two, but also where do we go in season three? And, and you know, is that Bartos in that opening scene? And I, I would just love to hear the rampant speculation. You know, the show is complex to a point that if even someone listened to this podcast, having never seen it, I don't know if they'd know what the hell we were talking about. So it would only probably intrigue them into watching it. I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, they would basically forget most of what we talked about. But, um, but yeah, yeah actually, I, actually, if someone is listening to this who didn't watch the show, like, you know, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook and let us know. I'm just curious if, and if tell that us is why true of anyone. you listen for an hour and 26 <laughs> minutes to this because I want to know. Um, all right, cool. So let's uh, let's wrap things up there. And definitely, everyone, like we said, watch this show. It's great. Second, my fifth, second favorite show on TV officially now. Um, all right. So we've been speaking with Aaron Lindsay, Raphael Jordan, and Rory Carroll. So thanks everyone so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Aaron Lindsay, Raphael Jordan, and Rory Carroll for joining us on the show. Big thanks as well to Vlad Polyakov and Muriel, who both just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to Ruralution, who just made a one-time contribution to the show via PayPal. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.